gospel, and now we are, have arrived at chapter 3. Paul is making a transition at this point, starting to conclude in some ways. Uh, and he says something in verse 1 of chapter 3 that I, we're going to talk about today. So let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time and on his word. And then we'll read the scripture. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this is not only a letter written by uh, a godly man almost 2,000 years ago, but this is your word. And you spoke, you breathed through Paul as he wrote this letter uh, in such a way uh, that it is your very word and it is for us today. Your scripture says your word is living and active. And we thank you, Lord, that you want to speak to us today. And how we need to hear you. Oh, we need you, Lord. We, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth, O God. So we ask you to speak to us and bring that life to us today. That we might live in you, by you, through you, and to you, O God. Use me to serve you, God, and your precious people. Lord, I pray you draw all to yourself as they hear your word today. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. One short verse for today, Philippians 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. This short verse may be short, but is very profound. There is in this verse actually a profound command from Paul and therefore from God as it is God's Word. There is a profound command here. The command is this, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Could you imagine the response I might get if I said to you today, if I said to you, you are commanded to be happy. You are commanded to be happy. You must be truly happy. You must be deeply, consistently, unshakably happy. Each one of you today must go from this church happy. As a matter of fact, I want you going skipping to your cars with smiles on your faces, and we're going to actually follow up this week to make sure you're happy. We're going to have the deacons contact you and see if indeed you've had an unshakable grin on your face the whole week. You must be happy. We're going, to, we're going to assess your happiness level and make sure you're following through in obedience to the command to be happy. You must be happy. What would you think if I said that in all seriousness? I think you'd, you'd think I was nuts or, or just unreasonable. You'd think I'm crazy. But the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.1 essentially does that. He essentially says, be happy. Rejoice. And, and, and we don't use the word happy because happy has a connotation that's maybe shallower than rejoice or joy. But he essentially says rejoice. It's a command here in Scripture. He doesn't, say, he doesn't say something that's just kind of you know, weak. He doesn't say, well, guys, you know, I, you know, if you're feeling good and, you know, and, and things aren't too hard and it's not too burdensome you know, and, 
And, you know, and I understand life can be hard sometimes and difficult and sometimes you just don't feel it. But maybe, could, could you be a little happy? Maybe, now and again? That's not what he's saying. It's a stark command. It's, it's, it's in this context, not qualified. He says, rejoice in the Lord. It's a command. He is telling the Philippians, and, he's, and therefore God is telling us to rejoice in the Lord. And he says it multiple times through this letter, actually. This letter has this theme of rejoicing in the Lord. And in chapter 2, verse 18, I think we have the verse to show, he's talking about uh, facing trials and, and says in 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Then he says this, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. He's, this is a, a, a command form. He's telling them to rejoice with him and be glad with him. He says later in chapter 4, verse 4, the same thing, almost the same thing as 3, verse 1. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. He repeats himself there, and he's actually talking about repeating himself in 3, 1 as well. There's no equivocation, overqualification. It's a stark call, command, a, an imperative to rejoice in the Lord. We need to let that sink in. We need to let that sink in. Because there are many factors, I think, that operate in our minds and in our culture that resist that idea that we would be commanded to rejoice. But that is what is clear here. There is a command. And this action of rejoicing in the Lord is very important. It is very important in Scripture. It's very important in your life as a believer. Joy is an important part of the Christian life. Now, joy is the, is the state of rejoicing. It's the noun. Rejoice would be the verb. To, to, to have joy is to be one who is rejoicing. And sometimes joy is dismissed as an auxiliary feeling in Christianity. There is this idea that I think might have its roots in rationalism that the, that the highest state of the Christian is to be a Christian who, who, who is not that emotional, who, who, whose mind is consistent, who thinks consistently, and, and just makes the right choices, regardless of feeling. Uh, and, and there's some validity to the, uh, to the proper place of feelings, but I think it's overstated. Have any of you seen the, the caboose fact, faith, feeling, uh, the, that, that's where they teach about how these things work? Fact, there's the fact of Scripture, there's faith in it, and then feeling follows. And, and in some way that's true, but it, but it, it somewhat separates feeling out in an unhelpful way. Scripture does not separate it that, quite that way. Yes, it is true, there's fact, there's faith, and then things follow from that. But it's not a caboose that you can just say, forget about it. Leave the caboose behind, the train still goes. It's, it's, it's part of the essence of the train. It's part of life. And Scripture commands us to rejoice. Folks, Dr. Spock is not the height of Christian holiness. It's not about just merely being logical and faithful in your thinking. That is important, but that is not the height. That is not what it looks like to be a successful Christian, just a, a staid and an and intellectual person. There is much more. The Scriptures call us to rejoice in the Lord. And we are beings made by God, and we are a mix of mind and heart, 
We are spirit and body together. We're all that. And we're not to neglect any aspect of who we are. And God calls us to rejoice in the Lord. And He doesn't overqualify it. Now joy, what is this joy? It's, it's really it's a, it's a, this deep sense of well-being. Now generally, joy is an emotion, a, a state of being and thinking that's evoked... Uh, by well-being or success and prospect of possessing what we desire, having what we want, this state of, of deep happiness. It's, it's more than just emotion, though. It's a state of being, and, and it's shown in appropriate emotion. It's all tied together. It's a mindset, and it's an emotion. It's all together. You, you can't kind of separate it out. It, it's a package. And yes, indeed, emotions fluctuate in their intensity and so forth, but, but there is an emotional part of joy. There's an expressive part of joy. Actually, do you know in the Old Testament, most of the expressions for rejoicing in the Lord have to do with what you do with your expression, with, with shouting and singing and dancing. That's not Dr. Spock, is it? Mr. Spock. Actually, did I say Dr. Spock? Mr. Spock. Mr. Spock. <laughs> Dr. Spock is a child psychologist. Mr. Spock is Star Trek. I don't know if Mr. Spock had a doctorate or not, but he's Mr. Spock. So, Anyhow, <laughs> now I've totally lost my train of thought thinking about Mr. Spock. But the, the aspect of... of, of the state of well-being, the mindset, that that's all fits together. It's not a higher state to somehow forget about the emotion. Joy encompasses all these things. It's the knowledge and the sense and experience of well-being and a lasting happiness, a deep happiness that overflows an appropriate emotion and expression and lifestyle. It's to characterize us And God commands joy. He commands joy. I'm going to harp on that because we need to hear that because we think it's the caboose. And who cares? I'm just going to do fact and faith. And if joy comes, doesn't matter. No. That's not what Scripture says. That's not what Paul says. That's not what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, rejoice. In the Lord, he does what we would consider silly. He says, go from here truly happy. And we need to hear that. I'll show you some scriptures, and I encourage you to examine the scriptures yourself. Deuteronomy chapter 28. God disciplines, it speaks of the discipline of his people for not being joyful. He says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. He's speaking of, of the abandonment of his people, abandonment of God by the people of God. And this abandonment is shown by the, them not serving with joyfulness and gladness of heart. This command to rejoice in the Lord is throughout Scripture. The psalm, Psalm 37, a wonderful verse, 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your hearts. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. How are you doing in obeying this command. 
How are you doing and rejoicing in the Lord? And I would submit to you that the success of your Christian life very much depends on rejoicing in the Lord. They are connected. If you are experiencing your joy in God, you will see fruitfulness. You will be fulfilled and pleasing to God and a blessing to others. If you're not experiencing your joy in God and pursuing your joy in God, you will eventually falter and fade and fail. It's with good reason that Paul tells the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. Part of what he's after is their success as believers and as a church. Part of what he's after is bringing the cure, the antidote to strife that's going on in that church. Disunity in that church. Bickering. Selfishness. Self-centeredness. These different issues that he has addressed specifically, and we have seen that as well. He has called them to the cure in the gospel. That is the power of rejoicing. He wants them to rejoice as a solution to their issues. we got to get that. We need to understand that. As we face challenges ourselves in our life, the cure is to find our joy in the Lord, to rejoice in the Lord, to obey this command. It, it will undo strife and disunity and the angst that goes with it. Paul's after the success of the Philippians. God is after your success as a Christian. So what is your situation? Is there some situation in your life that's challenging your joy? Is there an overwhelming situation that, that has dictated your life and has maybe stolen your joy? Is there strife in your life? Relational discord. Maybe, maybe at work. Maybe you have coworkers who are just difficult to work with. Maybe they're nasty. Maybe there's backbiting. Maybe it's a dog-eat-dog situation. Maybe your strife is in your family. Maybe with siblings or parents or children. Maybe the strife is even here in the church. When there ought to be peace with brothers and sisters who are held dear, there is some sort of strife. The answer for all these situations is the joy of the Lord. To rejoice in the Lord. That will bring a cure to your challenges in these areas. It will make the difference in your life. When you obey this command to rejoice in the Lord, you will see change in how you deal with those situations at work, how that strife affects you, how you relate to it, with that situation in the family, with that situation in the church, or wherever it might be. God wants a deep, overcoming joy in your life. And it will not do you good to excuse away that to say well you know I I've got a deep joy inside and and it's there because I know you know I know it's going to work out somehow but and to say that and to think when your life is is full of depression and misery that that oh I'm joyful I'm I'm joyful here you can we can excuse away ourselves and think that we have joy when we don't we've lowered the bar on joy so low that anybody could be considered joyful. We could consider Eeyore joyful by our standard at times. You know Eeyore, the guy from Winnie the Pooh? The donkey? 
The, the depressed donkey who says things like this, good morning, Pooh Bear, if it is a good morning, which I doubt. Good morning, Pooh. He's, he, we, could, we could consider Eeyore joyful, I think, by our standard, and, and, and let's not do that. Joy is more than just thinking maybe things will work out. And it's, it's, it's a deep sense of well-being that buoys us through life. Yes, there are times when, when we're feeling the effect of trials and, and our emotions may not be happy clappy. That's, I'm not saying that that's what we need to be. But joy is, is, is this deep sense of well-being that carries us through. Eeyore wasn't joyful. He would have spoken differently. God wants us to rejoice in the Lord. He wants us to have joy, a sense of well-being that carries us through life, that characterizes our life, and is shown in appropriate emotion. Sometimes that's just being happy and, and glad and big smiles. Sometimes it's, it's tempered, perhaps, as we face realities that are difficult to deal with. But nevertheless, there is this quality of joy that is to be is to show in our lives. And we are commanded by it, and you need to hear the weight of that command. It would not be good for me to overqualify it and dismiss it. There's a command here. C.S. Lewis said it this way in his a letter to a friend. He says, It is a Christian duty, as you know, for everyone to be as happy as he can. Rejoice in the Lord. Hear that as a command. Now, as you listen to me, you may be struggling right now thinking, you don't know. You don't know how crazy that is. I can't just do that. You're telling me I'm commanded to be joyful? If you only knew what I was facing, I, you would understand and you wouldn't make so audacious a claim. You must be misunderstanding Paul and the Scripture somehow. That's just unreasonable. And, and, and you're perhaps feeling some tension in that as I talk about this being a command. Don't, don't excuse it away. Don't overqualify what joy is and just say, well, yeah, you know, joy is just this and I'm doing okay. Let, let the command, let the weight of that sit on you for a little bit. Let, let, the, let the weight of the call to rejoice in the Lord and the sense of, of, of inadequacy that you have, let it sit there for a little bit because there's resolution. The resolution is not in, in just dumbing down joy to where it's so diluted that it doesn't look any different from depression. That's not where the answer is. It, 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 it is in, actually, what Paul says. The resolution here is in what he says. He says rejoice, and that's the command. He says rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. And that makes all the difference. Rejoicing in the Lord. It is rejoicing in the Lord. It, and this phrase, in the Lord, is, is used throughout Scripture. In Christ, in Him, in the Lord. And it speaks of our relationship with Christ. It speaks of how we are related to God in Christ. That, that we are in the Lord. We have this profound relationship with Christ. A profound relationship that makes all the difference. That makes us able to rejoice. That makes Paul able to call us to rejoice in the Lord. He is not calling the Philippians to, to rejoice by picking themselves up by the bootstraps. He understands they need something uh, 
to work in their lives. They need a power that comes from without, not from within. They cannot generate true joy. So he says, rejoice in the Lord. And this phrase speaks of our union, what theologians call our union with Christ. To belong to Christ is not simply to believe that He exists. Though that's important. That's a starting place. It's not simply to, to be glad that He exists and to receive His promises as true. That's important. It's not simply to, to receive His promises as true for your own life and to find, to, to be glad for that. Though that's important. To be united with Christ is all those things, but it is to be joined with Him in a profound way that is actually beyond words. We are united with Christ through faith. When we come to Christ through faith, we are united with Him in a profound way. It's it's beyond understanding. We are united with Him and made one with Him in actually much the same way that He is one with the Father. It's it's an amazing truth. You can look in John 17 to learn about that where, where Jesus talks about us being one with Him in the way that He is one with the Father. We are joined together with Christ. And it's so profound that His death on the cross, bearing our sins, is our death to sin. We are united with Him in His death, the Scriptures teach us. And His resurrection is our resurrection. It is our life. We are united with Him in that way. We are are so united with Him that His death and His resurrection are ours. And all that comes with that is ours as well. All of the inheritance that that He has earned and that is His is ours. We have all that, that we could ever have in Him. He is The victorious king, because when he died for sin, he paid for sin with his blood. He obeyed to to this point of death on the cross. He bore the holy wrath, the justice of God. And he rose again. And, And he is victorious. He has ascended. And he's reigning now. Because of what he did, he has earned the right to reign over all creation. It says in Scripture, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given Christ. And Matthew 28, all authority is His. He's reigning with absolute authority right now. He's working out His plan, the plan of God. He's completing the plan. He's he's reigning over His church. He's sovereignly reigning over all things. And, and, And He is making sure that the gospel goes forth to all nations. And when the when He is finished, He will vanquish sin and death. And He will hand it all over to the Father and and complete the work. That is guaranteed by His resurrection. And when we are united with Him, all that His reign means, all the, all the things that He has for good are for us. It's, it's amazing. He is sovereignly reigning over all things and we are united with Him and we have all things in Him. That's part of what it means to be united with Him. His blood pays for our sins and His righteousness that He lived and presented to the Father on the cross is credited to us. So when we come to Him through faith, when we turn from living in ourselves, see really there's only two ways to live. You can live in the Lord. You can live in the Lord. Or you can live in yourself. You can live by your own efforts. You can live according to your own rules. That's called living in yourself. 
relying on yourself and doing it your way. The Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. That's, that's one of the ways to live. It's, I would not recommend it. Or you can live in the Lord. And all you need to do to get from here to there is to do what the Bible calls repent. Now, why do that? Because living here is bankruptcy and foolishness. And, and the destiny is destruction. Your destiny is to be cut off from God forever. You are cut off from God if you are living in yourself. God is good to you. There's blessing that you experience, but don't mistake that. Don't presume on that because there will come a day where God will judge everybody with a perfect standard. And He will say, you have chosen this life. Here's the consequence. You've chosen to live in yourself. Well, here you go. Here's yourself. Go live in yourself now forever apart from me. You don't want to be there. And perhaps you know that right now. Perhaps you, you've tasted the bitterness of life in yourself. We all have. And all you need to do is say, Lord, forgive me for living in myself. I don't want to do that anymore. Forgive me. Thank you for giving yourself to pay for my sins. Now lead me. It's that simple. Forgive me. I receive your gift. Now lead me. I want to live in you. And if you have done that, and, and, and you can do it right there in your seat. You don't need me to be with you. You can just simply say, forgive me. I'm sorry. I want to live in you. And if that is you, if you have put your faith in Him, then you are in the Lord. And you are forgiven. Your sins are paid for. You are received in Him. And now He is your Lord and He is your shepherd and He watches over you and will watch over you and care for you and lead you always. And now you have infinite riches in the Lord. You have forgiveness. You have all things working for good. And Scripture is full of these wonderful promises that are ours when we trust in Christ, when we put our faith in Him. Because that transaction, going from in yourself to in Him, is, is simple indeed. It's just simply repenting and putting your faith in Christ. But it is profound. Because now you are united with Christ. You are united with God the Son, the one who reigns over all, the one who has died and who has risen. He is yours and you are His. You are united in all the promises that He has earned. All the, the blessings that are rightfully His are yours. He shares them with you. So look at Scripture. We have a number of verses that speak about the things we have in Christ. And they are countless, really. Romans 8.1 Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. You are not condemned for, for anything that you've done. There's no condemnation. You will not be judged. You are forgiven. You are beloved. There is no condemnation. Later in Romans 8, uh, it says that nothing, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. You, have, you are beloved by God. He loves you. And, and there's nothing that will separate you from that love. He loves you forever. That's guaranteed. You are in His love. You are His beloved in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You will be made alive fully. You will have this body of sin put away in a new body. And you will know life 
forever in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, he is a new creation. In Christ, you are a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. You are different. There's a different mindset, a different life in you, a different perspective. You are a new creation. Galatians 3, for in Christ Jesus, you are sons. And, and that would include sons and daughters, an inclusive term. Sons and daughters of God through faith. Ephesians 1, who has, it speaks of God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing that you could have is yours in Christ. Later he says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We've been chosen in Christ to be holy and blameless. Holy and blameless before a holy God. Before the, the God who the angels tremble before. The holy God. We are received and made holy and blameless before him in Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood. He buys us back. He rescues us from the effects of sin. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace in him. In him we obtained an inheritance, an eternal inheritance. In him you have been given the promised Holy Spirit. God, the Spirit lives in you. These are all the things that you have in Him. You have way more than this, too. This is only a partial list of the explicit things in Scripture that you have in Christ. The, the list goes on and on. You, you, are, you are loved. He works all things for your good. You have all that you need. In Corinthians, it says that all things are yours. That's a wild concept. All things are yours. Paul says it in an unqualified way. And what he means is that that. God rules over all things, right? All things belong to God. Jesus rules over all. And what is the point of his rule? The point of his rule uh, is the glory of God and the good of his people. To sum it up, that's the point of his rule. The glory of God and the good of his people. If you are his people, he uses all things that he is in control of for you. He, he controls every single resource, every single thing in existence, and he uses it all for your good. That's a profound thought. We need to get that in our minds. Because I would submit that the reason that we don't rejoice in the Lord is because we don't live in these truths. And there are other half-truths or lies that define our lives. And we go about our day each day with these half-truths or untruths defining how we see life. And we have circumstances that we face that are, are indeed daunting, but we don't think of them in, in light of the Scriptures. And they become all-defining for us. And we forget what we have in the Lord. Therefore, we don't rejoice. And then when we hear these commands, we think, well, you know, it can't mean that. So let's dumb down joy and think that I'm doing okay when we're not doing okay. Joy, lack of joy, is a sign that we're not living in the Lord. We're not living in these truths. There's something else that's defining us and driving us. So do you see how important the command is and recognizing the call of the command in our lives and addressing our own hearts when there's lack of obedience there? Something's wrong here. I need help. I need to learn about life in the Lord. We have all these things in Him and, and we need to we need to get this. 
The world is looking for riches. The world is looking for something. People scrap and scrounge to find something to base their life on. Some solid ground somewhere to stand on. That's, that's what life is really. It's, it's the pursuit of happiness. And people do all sorts of things to find happiness. They'll work crazy hours. They'll work 80 hours a week. They'll neglect their family to get money because they think if they get money, then they can be happy because they can get the things they want. And if they have that house that they've always wanted or, or that car or that vacation, then they can stand on some ground. They can find something. They can find happy. And then they can, they can rejoice in the stuff. In this boat or this vacation or this, this job or whatever it is. And, and people, people are pursuing happiness. And some will pursue happiness very differently than that. They'll look for temporary pleasures. Drugs and alcohol and sex and things like that. And they'll, and they'll go after those things. And it's just for a fleeting moment of joy, of a false joy. It's to say, yeah, I can stand on this experience and be happy for a moment. And, and they'll trade everything for that. We watch what addictions do to people. They trade family, closest friendships, the most, some of the most beautiful things in life. They'll trade away just to have a little bit of ground to stand on for a little bit. So they might know some sense of joy. Folks, we have every reason for joy. And our joy is not a little bit of ground that is fleeting. It is substantial and eternal, the basis of our joy in the Lord. No one can ever take that from us. It is there. It is true. And regardless of how you feel and how you think on a particular day, that is true. What we have in the Lord is this basis we can stand on. Can, can you just imagine? Can you just imagine what, what it would be like in life if you could, if you could have all the resources that you wanted, all the wealth, all the health, all the wisdom, access to all those things so that you could make your life the very best it could be. Can you, you're following me? If you somehow were able to be, I don't know, have all the wealth, all the health, so, I, you know, whatever, you had all the money, you could just invent medical cures for health, and you had all the wisdom, right? You knew what the best thing to do overall for your life, and, and, and just, just even say for other believers' lives, you could, you, could, you could do the best. You could make life the best, and you knew that that was going to happen. How would you feel about your life? What would it be like to get up in the morning? Yeah, another day. I'm going to do some great stuff today. Just think of the stuff I can do. The things that are best I can make happen in my life and around us. I, can, I mean, woohoo! today I'm going to have a great time. I mean, would you wake up that way? I would hope so. I mean, why not? You, could, you have all the health, all the wealth, all the wisdom to do whatever you want. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. I mean, I'd, be, I'd just be staying up doing all-nighters, making these great things happen all the time. Life would be incredible, and it would, just, it would just be one joyful moment after another. I'd exhaust myself in joy, and you would too. The truth is, well, well, also, let me add to that. Imagine, though, you also knew that when you were done doing that every day, okay, having access to all the resources you need, living life the best each day, when you were done, you were going to be received into eternal 
perfect bliss. There'd be no disappointments. There'd be glory beyond imagination. Unthinkable. That would make this life, even as good as it was, look like nothing compared to what you have for eternity. Imagine that's true. What would it be like to live each day? Maybe you're thinking ahead of me and you realize, for the believer, that is true. For the believer, that is true. You do have access to all the resources you need. All the health, all the wealth, and all the wisdom to live life the best possible way. And when you're done, it gets even better. This is the truth of living life in the Lord. And, and I can show you scriptures to, to, to help you understand this, to convince you. We have a couple, I think, Romans 8.28, part of this, teaches us that um, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. That's the promise for the believer. All things work for your good. And He has called you, and He's chosen you, and He's predestined you to be conformed to the image of Christ. You know what? That is the ultimate good in your life. The best life can be for you is to be changed into the image of Christ, to be made like Christ. And God sovereignly ordains everything in your life to work for that end. And it says, basically, He started the job, He will finish it. You will be glorified. You will be transformed. God will work all things for, for your good, and, and He works all things for His glory. Romans 11, I think we have as well. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. These truths are there in Scripture. Everything for your good in the Lord is to have access to all the resources to work good in your life and through your life. To work the ultimate good, to conform you to the image of Christ. And that is guaranteed, believer. When you put your faith in Christ, the reality is God is the one who has been working in your life to grant you that faith. And God is the one who guarantees the completion of that work that started. And He will use all His resources for that. He, he is in control of your life. And He is working out His glory for you. That is reason for joy. And we need to get our minds and our hearts around that and live in light of that. Now, yes, yes. The best life now, according to Scripture, may not be what we think the best life now is. Yes, indeed, there is suffering in this life. It does involve suffering and disappointments. But Scripture teaches us that those things are, are, are used purposefully by God to work the best out, to work the ultimate good. In His wisdom, He has, he has designed suffering and disappointments to work good. And, and yes, it will involve your own failure as well. You will fail. And, but God is big enough and wise enough and powerful enough to even work that, work that eventually for good, for your good. He will not fail you even though you fail Him. He will work out good in your life. He will work out the very best. This is the truth of Scripture. This is guaranteed for you. This is what it means to be in the Lord. 
So Paul can say, be happy, truly, deeply. He can say, command form, rejoice in the Lord. God can call us to rejoice in the Lord because of what it means to be in the Lord. And and so Paul does that in this letter. If the band could come up as we close. He does it in this letter. He does it repetitively. In verse 1, he says here that to write the, the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. I'm repeating myself is basically what he's saying for your good. And he says it elsewhere as well. In in verse 4 he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it. Listen, rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, Again, just in case you didn't hear it, I'll say it. Rejoice. Let me say it another time. Rejoice in the Lord. This is for your good. Rejoice in the Lord, King of Grace Church. Don't settle for anything less. Don't settle for Eeyore Christianity. Ground yourself in the Lord. We need, to be, we need to be like pit bulls who go after these truths and, and bite into them and will not let go. If you are struggling with joy, the answer isn't to dumb down what joy is. The answer is to go after what it means to be in the Lord. To bite down with all 170 pounds of pressure of that pit bull bite and hold on to what it means to be in the Lord and and to get around others that will will do the same with us, that will remind each other, remind each other what it is to be in the Lord, what we have in the Lord, and let these truths drive our life. And then watch joy increase. Watch the power and the ability to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let's pray.